for the first, I don't know, four to six weeks of this year, uh, we're going to be focused on this question. What does it mean to be a church member? Now, the impetus for this, uh, last year, uh, the, uh, really over the course of the last few years, really, we've had quite a few families place membership. What does that mean, place membership? Uh, we're glad about that. I want to be clear. We're glad about that. If you're new here, welcome. We're glad you've joined us. We're glad that you've decided to be a part of our group. But maybe... You're confused. Maybe you are confused. Maybe you were, were confused. Why do people do that? What does that mean? Uh, why? What, what motivates that? What, what is that a requirement? Should I be doing that? Maybe these are some of the questions that you've had. So over the next few weeks, we're going to answer this question. What does it mean to be a church member? How does one become a member? What exactly is one becoming a member of? What expectations come with membership? And of course, we'll answer the question, why does it matter? Now, before we begin, we have to dig into a couple of differences, profound differences, between our context and the context of the first century. Uh, first, and, and this is probably the big one, in the first century, there was only one church. Now, I, I put church in, in quotes here. We're going to talk about in one of these lessons, not today, but in one of these lessons, the, the meaning of the word church, what that means. But when you think about today, how many different Christian groups in this area are there. Now, you could define narrowly or broadly, however you want to define a Christian, right? What is that, what is, what that means? But even in the, in the most narrow sense, there are many groups, many Christian groups within this area. There just are. There's, I don't know, if you, if you want to go the most broad definition, 20 or 30 maybe, if you want to narrow it down, you could get into smaller numbers. But it seems to be that in the first century, that is in the time that the writing of the New Testament was being accomplished, each city only had one Christian group, and that was it. There were some regions where you only had one Christian group in like a province or a whole region. But it doesn't seem to be the case, as far as we know, as we read through the New Testament, that a city, let's say Corinth, would have two or three or four different Christian groups. There's just the church in Corinth, or Ephesus, or wherever, right? So when you think about what this means, when we think about church membership, what does that mean? How does having multiple groups in an area affect the idea? Well, now I'm thinking about picking, right? I'm going to pick. I'm going to be a part of this group as opposed to that group. In the first century, if you lived in Corinth, you were just part of the church in Corinth, and that was it. There was no alternative, right? There was just one place to go. Second, church membership in the first century was extremely limited or constrained by human travel technology. Uh, even, even think about the distance between here, Dewey, and Bartlesville. Uh, how many people here live not in Dewey? Raise your hand if you don't live in Dewey. Most of us, right? We understand that. That would probably not be the case if you had to walk here from your house. Right? Probably wouldn't be the case. Uh, if you live in Bartlesville, I doubt you're walking here every... Now, maybe you would. In Africa, for example, uh, people walk hours because they just don't have... Te they don't. Many people don't have cars. If this is in the bush, particularly in Africa, people will walk for hours and hours to go to church, but they don't have a selection. They're walking to the nearest church, right? It just is what it is. We, because of our ability, our technology, can engage, choose to be a part of a, a congregation, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 miles away. Depends on what you want to do there. But in the first century, right, by custom and technology, and when I say by custom, most people 
didn't move. They were born in a place. They lived in that place. They died in that place. They didn't move around. Like the, the astronomical cost of, of picking all your stuff up and moving, you couldn't move all your stuff. You just have to take what you could carry. So this changes, right? When we think about how the Bible talks about church membership versus the conception that we have of it today. What does that mean? What are the differences? How does that apply? So to be clear, there's many parts of this country and the world where these two restrictions are still functionally in place. There is just one church, and you can't go traveling all over the place. You pick, and you're not picking, you're just going to the place you're at, and that's it. That's much more how it would have been in the first century. So when we think about the concept of being a church member, it is a biblical one, but we have to be careful about terminology, about the words that we use, and about the ideas that we attach to these words, right? When I say, what, what church are you a member of? You know, you have a conceptualization of what that means that may not be the same as somebody else if I ask them the question, what church are you a member of? Now, in the Bible, we think about this word member specifically. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, and 27 and 28. We read some of this in Bible class this morning. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is in Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and were made to drink of the one spirit. Skipping to verse 27. Now you are all the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and the second prophets and teachers and miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. And we talked about a little bit about that this, uh, this morning in Bible class. But the point is what? You were made to drink of one spirit. Drinking of the one spirit made you a member of the body of Christ. Ephesians 2.18 for through him we have both, we both have access. Who's the both? He's talking here about Jews and Gentiles. We both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. What we're seeing here, there is still today one church because there's one spirit. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, in the in 1 Corinthians 12, members of his body. Uh, uh, I think Don was talking about that this morning before his prayer and in his prayer. Here we see what? Members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, we have this idea of a structure here as household, household in the sense of, you know, a family of people, but also household in the sense of a structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, a couple of things that stand out about these. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then what does he talk about? He goes on to immediately talk about some of the organization thereof. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, etc. Similar idea in Ephesians 2. You are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Whatever this membership is, whatever that looks like, whatever it means, it is intimately connected with the idea of the apostles and prophets, the structure of who is doing what job particularly the apostles and prophets as sort of this foundational structure, Jesus at the center, right? This idea of Jesus, because it's his body, the body of Jesus, and then he is the cornerstone that is the first stone that is laid that's going to direct the whole structure itself. He is the beginning of this. Ephesians 4.25, we see the word member in a, a different way. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Well, now I'm not a member of the body of Christ. Now I'm not a member of the household of God. Now I'm a member of you. What does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that. The New Testament writers talk about membership. Again, this idea of membership. What does it mean to be a church member? Both explicitly and implicitly in several important ways. What do I mean by explicitly and implicitly? There are a lot of verses that say explicitly, you're a member, this is what that means. There's a lot of verses, maybe even more verses, where it's implied. You're a member and this is what that means. We're going to look at both as we go through this series, but we're going to break it down into three categories. One, spheres of influence. You think about what it means to be a church member. Well, part of that is influence. Who am I allowing to influence me? And who am I attempting to influence? Right? There's an element of influence in this where I'm not supposed to let the the world influence me. I'm supposed to stand apart, right? I'm supposed to be separate from the world. But I am supposed to learn and grow and, and be influenced by somebody. Who is that? Well, probably my fellow members. What does that mean? Well, the second area, realms of responsibility. Who am I responsible for? This evokes very sim- very early on in the Bible narrative when, uh, I always get this wrong, Cain kills Abel, right? Uh, when Cain asks God, right, am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me about Abel over here? Of course, Cain knows what's up. God knows what's up. But we still ask this question, right? Who am I responsible for? Am I my brother's keeper? Who, who am I going to give an account for? And, and it's easy to get limited to the idea, well, I'm just responsible for myself. That's what the world wants you to say. Biblically, that's just not true. You are responsible for more than yourself, more than your immediate family. Now, you are responsible for your immediate family, but you're responsible for more than your immediate family. You are responsible for the fellow members of the church. Some of us more directly than others. Elders, I'm looking at you. We'll talk about you very specifically. Second question, who's going to give an account for me? Right? Okay, if I'm responsible for people, who's responsible for me? Well, again, that comes back to this idea of membership. The third area, structures of submission. This is the one that we don't like. There are many, oh, so many, verses about submitting to one another in the Bible. Who exactly should I submit to and who is over whom? I don't know if I'm using whom right. I've used it a lot this morning. I don't know if I'm using it correctly. Who's in charge? Who should I submit to? Who does God expect me to submit to? Well, again, that's going to be tied up in this idea of membership. There's a lot of levels to these things, right? Where this is going to be four or five weeks we talk about this. There's a lot of levels to these ideas. We'll discuss a lot of specifics in our context. But for the rest of this sermon... There's one most important way to think about these ideas, and it would be very irresponsible of me to talk about church membership without talking about the base level of these ideas, the most important level of these ideas. When you think about spheres of influence, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Well, there's an area of influence there, right? That he wants the Christians to be influenced by him, but not influenced by him infinitely in any way in all possible areas of influence, but to be influenced by him, how? As he is imitating Christ. Even as I'm being influenced by other Christians, 
The goal is ultimately that even in that, I'm being influenced by Christ, right? He is the one that should be affecting me the most. Now, sometimes that's going to be through other people, as here. Sometimes that's going to be more directly as I read his word, as I think about him, I pray, and I study, and I ask for wisdom, and I ask for the ability to serve him. Then I'll be influenced by Christ most of all. We think about realms of responsibility. Who am I accountable to? Who am I responsible for? Well, at the base level, the most uh, simple foundational level, what does it say? Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for the elder's good pleasure. Is that what that says? It doesn't say that. For the preacher's good pleasure, no. God works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. At the end of the day, base level here, foundationally, I am most of all accountable to Jesus, to God. I am most of all responsible for myself. Now, there are other people I'm responsible for, but at the end of the day, I can't control you. I can influence you. I can teach you, I can guide you, I can direct you. We can do that for each other. But we all make our own decisions. I cannot save you, which means you are responsible for, accountable to, the one who will save and condemn. It's not me, it's Jesus, right? He's the one that we are responsible for, responsible to. And then finally, structures of submission. Ephesians 1.22, there is responsibility and, and submission in the church. There are these levels of authority, but it all goes back to where? He put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. The church is not my body. The church is not the elder's body. It's Christ's body. He is in charge. He's the one to whom all other levels of submission go to, right? And we submit to each other, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Even as I'm submitting to other people in the church, I'm doing so as an overall expression of my submission to Jesus. Even the levels of responsibility that we have in the church, the levels of different structures of authority go back to his authority, Jesus' authority. Above all else, and first of all, being a church member means submitting to, being influenced by, and living for Jesus Christ. He is the definer of what it means to be a church member. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you. How many divisions are there? in the modern American church. Probably too many to count, to be honest. The appeal, though, what? That there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. He had, uh, apparently he had people who reported to him about different people in the church, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says... I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's the implied answer to these questions, right? You're baptized in my name. 
I didn't die for you. This is Paul speaking, right? I wasn't crucified for you. I'm writing you this letter right now. Being a church member, first and foremost, means that we submit to Christ. It's not about me. I like, I like different preachers more than others, right? Everybody does. We understand that. I enjoy listening to different people more than others. But the people that I like listening to did not die for my sins. The people that taught me the gospel. Different people taught different people the gospel here. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it was an elder. Maybe it was a deacon. Maybe it was just a random person. I don't know. Whoever it was that taught you the gospel did not die for your sins. They just didn't. First and foremost, being a church member means submitting to Christ. 1 John 2.1 My little children, I am writing these things to you that you so you may not sin... But if anyone does sin, it's going to happen. We understand. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not anyone else. And not only for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Not my commandments, not the elders' commandments, not anybody else's commandments. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. If you say, I'm a member of the church, but you're not obeying Jesus, you are a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What does it mean to be a church member? What does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? Well, part of it, a large part of it, means that I obey Christ and I keep his commandments. We're going to talk about some other things as we go through this series. Identifying with, committing to a local congregation, uh, the idea of, of making sure that people know that you're going to be around for the long haul. These are important, right? These are important things. We're going to talk about that as we go through. What, what exactly, when a tri- pl- uh, person places membership here, what does that involve? What does that entail? We're going to articulate why that matters. But attending church regularly, participating in activities, even placing membership, right? These are not the thing that saves you. They're just not the thing that saves you. They might be important parts of a Christian life. They may be an important part of being saved, a result of being saved. But these are not the saving thing. Many people attend churches. They do Christian things. They identify as members of the Lord's church. But they are not part of the body of Christ. Because they have not submitted to Christ's will. And they are not obeying Christ's commandments. What should enable spiritual, supernatural unity? He says this, right? I I appeal that there be no divisions among you, that you have the same mind and the same judgment. Well, we look around today and we think that's impossible. Nobody can agree on that. Nobody can have the same mind and judgment. There's so many different Christian groups. How do I know? What enables supernatural unity of purpose, mind, and teaching is the communal submission to Christ's will. That's what should enable it, right? that we are all submitting to Christ's will and his purpose. That is what saves. Because he is the one who saves. So as we conclude today, the first steps in this journey. Christ's commandments. Keeping his word. What does that mean? To be a church member, to join his body. 
Mark 1, 14 and 15. And after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does Jesus want you to do? He wants you to repent and believe. Luke 12, verse 8. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What does Jesus want you to do? He wants you to acknowledge him before other people, right? He wants you to say that you believe in him, to not deny him when others ask, hey, what do you, what do you believe in? What do you, what do you think is true? To deny him and to say, well, it's not Jesus, or to be the sin of omission, right? To, to sort of keep it to ourselves. He wants us to acknowledge him before others. Mark 16, 15, and 16. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is immersed. If you're new here, I like the word baptized. I hate the word baptized because it's a transliteration, not a translation. It means to immerse. Whoever believes and is immersed will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to repent. He wants us to believe in the gospel. He wants us to acknowledge him before others. He wants us to be immersed into him. That's the beginning. It's not the end. That's the very beginning. The rest of it, what does it mean to be a church member? We'll talk about some of those things as we go through. These are the first steps.